Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, the creator and sustainer of all that is good, we thank you for creating us in your image and likeness. Along with the psalmist, we praise you because each one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. Forgive us for the times that we have failed to acknowledge your goodness in the people around us. We ask that you create in us a clean heart and grant us your divine love so that we may share it with your creation, the people and places where love is absent in this world. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. from the book of Genesis. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. 
Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. A reading from the book of Psalms. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I, I praise, praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes beheld unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I tried to count them. They are more than sand. I come to the end, and I am still with you. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God.
Children, come join me at the front. Woo. <laughs> School's out, right? Almost. Oh. Okay, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Okay. Well, it, you'll get there, I promise. I promise. Okay, I am really glad to see you this morning, and um, I want you to tell me, when you walked in the church this morning, did you see something different? And what did you think? You saw the decorations. What did you think? You liked them? You know, Mr. Trent worked on those decorations. You guys, your Sunday school teacher, yeah. So he's helping us this summer with music camp, and he's helping us start to think about what those words in his image mean. Did you hear Mr. Lewis and Harper use that word image when they read the scripture? They read it. They talked about us being created in God's image. And the last song that we sang, did you hear image? It was all through that song. Well, guess where that song comes from? It comes from the musical. So you already know one song for music camp. How about that? So this year, this summer, we're all going to be talking about what it means to be in his image. We're not just going to do music camp, just kids. Our whole church is going to be talking for the next three weeks about what it means to be created in God's image and what that means to us and what it means for us. And we're starting on that today. When you hear that word image, what do you think about? What do you think, Jada? Picture. That's what I thought. Anybody else? I also thought about a memory, good. We're getting there next. Very good. I also thought about a mirror. When you look, you see an image in a mirror. You see a picture. But an image is also not just about what we see. It's also about what we hear and what we think. You know, um, our sons, Harrison and Hunter, when you look at them, they look kind of like Jeff and me, and they look like each other. But it's more than what, what they look like. Their image is and the image that they present of our family is one of our thoughts and our beliefs and our actions and our humor and all of those things. So image is a lot of things. Um, when you heard the story of creation, we talked about we are made in God's image and it's centering around creation. Did you hear what God said after he created the creatures and the animals and the people? Did you catch that? Harper and Mr. Lewis both read it. The words in the Bible say, God said it was good. Creepy, crawly bugs, it was good. People, it was good. When God created you and God created me, he said it was good because we are made in his image. I'm going to give you guys a, a fun assignment. Um, go back sometime this week and read Genesis 1. And go back and look and see how many times the Bible says God said it was good or God thought it was good. When I hear those words, it gives me a lot of hope, and it gives me a lot of assurance that God knows what he's doing and that he has a plan and a purpose for all of creation, and that includes you, and that includes me. The beauty that we see in creation like butterflies and birds and flowers and pine cones and people and animals is in me, and it's in you, and it's in every one of us because God is good. And God's image, God has created us in his image. So, remember, the beauty of God, the goodness of God is in creation, in you, in me, and in everyone. And don't forget that. Don't forget that you're going to hear about that today from Pastor Mary Alice. I want to teach you a phrase that my mom and dad's pastor used to open every service with. And every time I would go visit my parents' church, it kind of made me get settled. And I've remembered it all week long. So there's two phrases. So repeat after me. God is good all the time. So I'm going to say one of those phrases and you say the other. So let's practice. God is good all the time. So let's all do that. God is good all the time. Don't forget that. Don't forget that this week. God is good and God's goodness is in us. Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful that in creation you show us your goodness, that you've put your goodness in us. Help us to 
understand what that means. Help us to live it every day at school and at home and at church and with friends and family. We love you, God, but we know you love us even more, and we thank you for that. Amen.
Now, gracious God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My grandfather, Herman Maggard, had this bright red hair. And five of his seven siblings actually had red hair too, but by the time I knew them, all their hair was white. Now the red hair actually skipped a generation in my family until I was born. And that day the nurse came out and told my dad, Mr. Birdwistle, you have a baby girl, but she has this red fuzzy stuff on her head. And we're not really quite sure what it is. But don't worry, she said, we are going to try everything we can do to wash it out. <laughs> and then she came back a few minutes later and said, Mr. Birdwistle, we're not quite sure what to do. No matter what we do, it just keeps getting redder. And thankfully, my family loved me anyway, red fuzz and all. <laughs> my mother, Martha Birdwistle, had light blue sclera, meaning the whites of her eyes are actually light blue. And the doctor pointed this out during an eye exam when she was a little girl and asked if she had broken any bones. And she hadn't and didn't even think twice about it until I was born and I had light blue sclera and I started breaking bones. And my parents later learned that light blue sclera is just one of the symptoms of the bone disorder I have that I inherited from my mom. My father, Mark Birdwhistle, and I share what we like to call the Birdwhistle nose. I actually look more like my cousin Corey than anyone else in my family, and she was blessed with the Birdwhistle nose too. But my body is shaped a lot like my mother's, and I think that we tend to make similar facial expressions, too. These are some of the ways that I carry on the physical characteristics of my family. But then there are so many other things that I receive from my family besides red hair, blue sclera, and the bird whistle nose. For instance, my dad and I share a love of photography. Every time I'm at our farm in Kentucky around sunset time, he and I both make our way outside to take pictures of the sun setting over the pond. And over the years, Dad taught me how to take good pictures, how to get the best angles and lighting, and I received my love for beautiful scenery from him. And so now I have a wall at my house of the sunset and sunrise pictures that I've taken at the farm in honor of him. Or sometimes I will catch myself saying something and I will think to myself, I sound exactly like my mother. <laughs> or there are those moments when I can't for the life of me find my keys. And I think back on all of those times when my mom couldn't find her keys either and how irritated I was with her in those moments. And of course, you know I'm going to mention Kentucky basketball. I grew up going to games and sitting on my parents' and my grandparents' laps. And I know that you all like to make fun of me for my love of Kentucky basketball, but the thing is that it goes far beyond loyalty to a sports team. It's a love that has been passed down to me from my family in the same way that many of our children are growing up tailgating with us at Baylor games or cheering with us for the Baylor Bears. Now, one of the most important things my family has passed down to me is a deep love for and commitment to the church. My dad is a deacon and has been a Sunday school director. My mom has always loved teaching children and serving in missions. My Uncle Jack was a campus minister and religion professor. All four of my grandparents were deeply invested in the church. And being engaged in the community of faith has always been an incredibly important part of our family life. You see, in so many ways, and in more ways that I'm sure I'm just not even aware of, I bear the image of my family. Part of their legacy lives within me. I was created in their likeness. The things that they care about or are interested in or passionate about are evident within me. 
There are parts of me that are so uniquely distinct to my family that I will always carry with me into the world. Now then there's my brother, Matt. And we both come from the same parents, and yet he and I look probably as different as night and day. If you ever see us together, you would never assume that we are even related. He looks like my mom's side of the family, and I look like my dad's. He wasn't blessed with the bird whistle nose. And we tend to think differently about the world. We vote differently sometimes. We have different priorities. And yet, my brother is still one of my favorite people in the world. He's an incredible father, a loving husband, a faithful friend. He looks just like my uncle Joe Taylor. People are always astonished when they see pictures of them at the same age. Matt is a beloved doctor in his community. He and my dad share a common commitment to health care. And then each day after work, he immediately comes home and takes the kids outside to work with him in his garden, a love that he and my mom share. Our family text message thread is often filled with pictures of mom and Matt's latest crops from their garden. And sometimes I like to send them pictures of all the produce I can find at HEB. <laughs> Matt and I are so different. And yet he bears the image of our family too. He was created in their likeness. Part of their legacy lives on within him. The things that they care about or are interested in or passionate about are also evident within him. And there are parts of my brother that are so uniquely distinct to my family that he will always carry with him into the world. And isn't the same true about us? as the family of God. Today's text tells us that we each bear the image of God. We were created in God's likeness. The things that God cares about or is interested in or passionate about are also evident within us. And there are parts of us that are so uniquely distinct to the image of God that we will always carry them with us into the world. Today's text begins in Genesis 1:24 on the sixth day of creation, as Harper and Lewis read for us earlier. Now, for the five previous days of creation, God has been busy making all kinds of things, stars in the sky, light in the darkness, and every kind of plant imaginable. And then God begins to make living creatures, like birds and fish, cattle. And did you hear how many times Lewis said creeping things? <laughs> Why did God have to create creeping things? <laughs> Couldn't we have done without a few of those? And God even created wild animals, which means that God must have also created the armadillos that have been tearing up my yard this past month. And yet God saw all that he had made, and he said that it was good. And then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. And so God created humans. And then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed God said it was very good. But what does it mean that you and I were created in the image of God? And what difference does it make to us today, so many years after this text was originally written? I think in order to understand this, it's helpful for us to go back and to understand the religious landscape of the time in which this text was written. So many other religions at the time were putting the image of God on statues and in stone and in bronze. But the earliest followers of God felt that this was idolatrous, and they followed the commandment given to them by God through Moses, you shall make no idol for yourself whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God. And because of this, the people of Israel resisted every effort to make an image for God. Which is why today's text would have been completely countercultural to its original readers. As Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says, our text makes a surprising counter-assertion. 
and says that there is only one way in which God is imaged in the world, and only one, in humanity. There is only one creature, only one part of creation, which discloses something to us about the reality of who God is. God isn't known through any molten image or cast or stone. God is known peculiarly through this creature who exists in the realm of history. God is not imaged in anything that is fixed, but in the freedom of human persons to be faithful and gracious. And I don't know about you all, but when I stop to think about that, I am completely overwhelmed by it. I mean, it would have made sense to me that God would have chosen to put God's image in the sunset at my parents' farm. That is certainly a place where I experience God. It would have made sense to me if God had said, I will put my image in the Grand Canyon, or in the ebb and flow of the ocean, or in the twinkling cascade of stars in the sky. And while God created all of this, and God calls all of it good, God did not choose to put God's image within any of this. And of all of the grand and powerful and beautiful places in which God could have chosen to put God's image, God chose to put God's image within us. We were each created with thoughtfulness and creativity and intentionality, and we each bear God's divine imprint within us. Something deep within all of us helps to reflect the image of God in the world. Fred Craddock told a beautiful sermon once in which he proposed the idea of what it might have been like if God had not done this, if God had created, had not created humankind in his image. Then he says humans would be no different than animals. We would spend our lives eating and drinking and possibly working or possibly showing off and doing some tricks, reproducing and sleeping, and, and then at some point we would die. But instead, God chose to form humankind differently. And as Craddock writes, God must have said something like, I am proud of the squirrel. I love the elephant. The horse is good. The mule is nice. And I do like those llamas. But the one that is exactly like me is this one, he said, pointing to the humans. I have breathed into this one my own life. And so he goes on to say, this is why human beings are not content if they are real human beings with just eating and drinking, working and showing off, bragging and dying. Real human beings long for God. Real human beings search the heavens, write poetry, play music, spread art all over the world, and think the things of God. And perhaps when you and I get stuck in the rut of eating and drinking and working and sleeping and just going through the motions of life. We are not fully living into all that God has created us to do and all that God has created us to be because we're not fully living into people who have been created in the image of God. In his book, Christ of the Celts, John Philip Newell explains that the image of God within us is like royal garments. He says that in the 19th century, royal garments were woven throughout with an expensive thread of gold. And if somehow that golden thread were taken out of the garment, the whole garment would unravel and fall apart. So it is, he says, with the image of God woven into the fabric of our being. If it were taken out of us, we would unravel. We would cease to be. So the image of God is not simply a characteristic of who we are. The image of God is the essence of our being. And so what difference does this make to us, that you and I were created in the image of God, that the image of God is at the essence and at the core of our being? Perhaps it means that no matter where we are or where we go, no matter what we look like, or what we wish we looked like, and matters not what our education is or if we finish school, what our job is or if we have a job, 
whether we are male or female, whether we are two or 22 or 102, whether we feel like we have a lot of friends or whether we are incredibly lonely sometimes, whether we are confident walking into a room of people where we don't know anyone or whether that idea makes us want to crawl under the table and hide, whether we love who we are or whether we have trouble loving who God created us to be, we each carry within us at our very core a piece of who God is. And perhaps the parts of us that we wish we could change are actually the beautiful parts of the image of God within us. I know this may sound simple, but the reality is that I think it's one of the most difficult spiritual lessons we can ever really learn and come to embrace. Next week, John Singletary will preach about our calling to see other people as created in the image of God. But we cannot even begin to do that if we cannot stop and see the image of God within ourselves and to see, as God said, that it was very good. Sometimes I think when we treat other people the worst, it's often because we can't even begin to see the good that God has planted within us. And so we act out and we try to find acceptance and purpose and affirmation and meaning in so many other places when the reality is that God has placed that within us, within his image all along. I'd like to close by reading you part of a new children's book, When God Made You, by William Paul Turner. Because I think it creatively and exquisitely captures this idea of being created in God's image. And I don't share these words with you because they are cute and sing-songy, although that's certainly true. I share these words with you because I think we as adults sometimes have the most trouble actually believing them. Sure, we can believe them about the children we often read these stories to, but can we stop and believe them about ourselves too? And so hear these words, and perhaps you will begin to believe them today too, that of all the places where God could have chosen to put God's image, God chose to put it within you. You, you, when God made you, God made you all shiny and new, an incredible you, a you all your own, a you unlike anyone else ever known. An exclusive design, one God refined. You're a perfectly crafted one of a kind. Because when God made you, somehow God knew that the world needed someone exactly like you. You, you, God thinks about you. God was thinking of you long before your debut. From the very beginning amid history and time, you, little one, never left God's mind. Out of billions of faces from cultures, all races, people God made from all different places, God knew your name. Your picture was framed. God's family without you would not be the same. Because when God made you, this much is true. The world got to meet who God already knew. You, you, when God sees you, God delights in what is and sees only what's true. That you, yes you, in all of your glory, bring color and rhythm and rhyme to God's story. So be you, fully you, a show-stopping review. Live your life in full color, every tint, every hue. Discover, explore, have faith, and love more. And learn and relearn all that God made for you. Use your talents and passion, those gifts that God fashioned. Think up ideas and then put them in action. When you dance all alone, spinning like a cyclone, being whoever, whatever, in a world all your own, God smiles, and here's why. In the spark of your eye, a familiar reflection shines bright from inside. Because when God made you, the world oohed and awed. In heaven, they called you an image of God. And so, God, I ask that you would help us to see the ways that we bear and reflect your image in the world. God, in the days when 
we don't even want to get out of bed in the morning, or when we don't want to look in the mirror, or when we don't want to walk into school, or to work, or even to church, because we don't like who we see in the mirror. Give us the confidence that you created us, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, each and every one of us. That you created us and said that it was good, and that each of us and our uniqueness and our differences and our beautiful complexions and diversities and colors, that each of us is created in your image. God, help us to live up to the image that you have given us to bear in the world. Help us to daily seek after you, seeking to do the things that you are calling us to do and to be the people who you have created us to be. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, it is true that you and I are created in the image of God. But you and I are also always going to fall short of living as God created us to live and being who God created us to be. And it's why God knew that we needed a physical, literal, in-person, living in the flesh image of God through Jesus to show us the way. Colossians 1.15 calls Jesus the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Walter Buzard writes that Jesus is the human being, as God intended all human beings to be, in the beginning, a perfect representation of God to the world. And so if you and I want to know how to carry God's image with us into the world and into our day-to-day lives, we look to the example of Jesus. And so if you would like to talk with one of our ministers about what it means to follow Jesus, we would love to visit with you in the back of the sanctuary Or if you want to join our community of faith here at Calvary, where we seek to know and to follow Jesus together in the best ways we know how, we would love to welcome you into our church family today. And so however God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back to receive you and to pray with you as we continue in worship. Our builder, you have all the building materials needed to construct, 
construct our societies. You, ha you have all the strength to put wisdom on all that has fallen apart in our lives. You have the wisdom to reshape our world. Inspire us with all of your wisdom, strength, and love to rebuild the broken walls in our community. Lord God, we give you thanks for sending your only son to give us life. In the midst of wealth, we are crushed by poverty. And while we are offered Christ's life in all its fullness, we are surrounded by disease, death, and destruction. We are tempted to despair and yet keep hoping, knowing that you care. At times, we weep silent tears and cry out with deep emotion. We come to you, our only hope and refuge. Thank you for the gift of laughter, even when the going is tough. With you, O oh Lord, we may be troubled, but not destroyed. Your land, O oh Lord, is divided and suffers from fighting between your children. Injustices of all kinds, hatred and bitterness are part of the daily life of the people. We offer our gifts of time so you can be honored in all that we do. We offer our gifts of talent so you can be glorified in our bodies. We offer our gifts of money and resources so your work here can be sustained. We offer ourselves to you. Receive our offerings in your gracious name. Amen.
Well, first, I want to give a big thank you to Isaac Bradley for leading us so well over the past three weeks in worship. We really appreciate it. Randall and Brenda are on their way back from Malaysia right now, I think, and we'll be back in Waco later tonight. And so we look forward to having Randall back with us. But thanks for Isaac's leadership while he was away. Being at Calvary is always a wonderful thing because we're always meeting new people, and it's always a really sad thing because new people are always moving away as God calls them to new places. And so we have four people that I know of for whom it is their last Sunday with us at Calvary. And so I'd like to invite Paul and Kate McClure and Dylan and Hannah Rigg, if you all would come down with me. Paul and Kate are going to be moving to Lynchburg, Virginia where Paul will teach at Lynchburg College, and Kate will continue to do her portraits and artwork. Um, Paul and Kate have helped so much in our college and young adult ministry. They've served as small group leaders, and Kate has also served as a deacon with us and has faithfully helped with our Wednesday night meals every night. And also Dylan and Hannah are going to be moving to Greenville, South Carolina, where Dylan will be a pastoral resident at First Baptist Church Greenville, and Hannah will be working with a nonprofit in the area focusing on food insecurity, mental health, and financial security across the state. Hannah has been faithful in teaching children's Sunday school, and she's also served as the social work intern at West Avenue over the past year. We've enjoyed working with you in that role. And Dylan has been involved in our young adults. Until recently, he served as an interim pastor at another church in the area. I also want to invite a few people who are leaving to serve in summer missions to join us. Um, Jess Gregory, if you would join us up here. Jess is going to be serving in Tanzania this summer, uh, helping to lead a pastor's conference, and then traveling around to do village evangelism and discipleship, and then ending her time in Tanzania doing a widow's conference. And then Will Ward, and Will is actually the deacon who is helping to get ready for our baptism in just a moment. But I wanted you to know that Will is leaving this week to serve with Passport Kids Camp as the camp director this summer. And so he will be serving all across the southeast and then will end his summer with us here in Texas. We just wanted to have a time as we end worship before our baptism to pray a prayer of blessing over all of you all as you're going to the different places where God is calling you. Um, I would invite anyone who wants to come forward and lay hands on these friends to come forward and lay hands. And then as we finish the blessing, uh, we will move toward the um, baptism. So come forward if you would like to lay hands, and I am going to close us with our benediction. Paul and Kate, Dylan and Hannah, Jess and Will. May the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment. And comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you, may Christ's mercy astound you, and may the Spirit abound in you, so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with you always. Amen. You all stay here for a moment, and I'm going to invite any children who want to come up, because we are getting ready for the baptism of Josiah Tate. And so we always want the kids to be able to have a front row view. And so any children, come on up. And then others are welcome to join. Please bring your worship folder for the congregational welcome at the end of the baptism. And Isaac will lead us as we sing down to the river to pray. As I went down to the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go
to pray. Study it about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. go down, down to the river to pray. It's my great joy to introduce you to Josiah Tate. Josiah is a fourth grader at Mountain View Elementary. Josiah is curious and he is creative and he asks the best questions. He has a kind heart and he is full of compassion for others. He is a caring brother and a faithful friend. Josiah, it is our great joy to share in this moment of baptism with you as you choose to follow Jesus all the days of your life. Josiah's brother, Joshua, will read his testimony. These are the words of Josiah Tate. When I was seven years old, I accepted Jesus into my heart while my mom, William, and I were driving around Waco running some errands. We were listening to Adventures in Odyssey, and I whispered the profession of faith after I heard the character accept Jesus on the radio show. Then I told my mom and William. When I got home, I told Joshua and Dad, and they were excited. And on Sunday, my dad took me down to the fellowship hall, and he announced it to the whole church. I was congratulated. I know God is with me because he sometimes points me in the right direction. I know that God is working in my life because I have friends and family that love me and guide me. I feel that God is working through me because people tell me that I'm very kind and show love to them well. I know that God is real because when I look around me, I see him in creation, in my family, and in all the cute animals that I'm obsessed with. <laughs> I wanted to be baptized because I've seen a whole lot of people be baptized in my life, and I wanted to show everyone that I want to follow Christ. I know that God loves us because we bore the weight of sin, and he took it from us. To me, baptism is that you are giving your love to God in front of everybody because he loves us and took away our sins through Jesus. Josiah David Tate, you come today to make a public profession of faith and to identify with our Savior in his burial and resurrection. Who do you confess? Jesus is Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord? Yes, Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> Because of your public profession of faith and in keeping with the teachings of our Lord, I now baptize you, my brother. Go ahead, put your arm up. Right here, hold your nose. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in death to sin and raised to walk in new life. Oh, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Josiah, your church family has some words they would like to share with you now. With joy, joy and, and thanksgiving, thanksgiving. we now welcome you into Christ's church, for we are all one in Christ. We promise to love, encourage and support you and to help you to know and follow Christ. <laughs> 